Hi, thanks for listening to Bowties in Business. You're listening to part two of the quarter two 2021 sales kickoff. We're focused on four things to help you accelerate your business and grow your revenues. So in episode one, which is linked in the show notes, if you missed it, we had Tim Cook and Chris Bremer from Sales Punch on, and they talked about lead generation and how they help companies both establish sellers, management, and new sellers that have been onboarded get more quality appointments. Then we talked to Britt Heaps, who works with early and mid-stage companies on aligning their processes from sales through back end and back office, including CRM and whatnot. And in this half of the episode, we're going to talk to Jason Cutter about persuasion, and we're going to talk to Steve Urell about making sure you have your Q2 numbers in line. So with that, Jason, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Tim. Super excited to uh, be a part of this brilliant yeah. group. I, I was thrilled that you agreed to do this, to be honest, because I know how busy your schedule is and I know you're speaking or have just spoken at a Leeds event. So want to share a little bit about that before we go into the, the meat of yeah, things? Yeah, it, it was uh, super exciting because it uh, was the first time basically that I left the state since all of this pandemic thing happened and an in-person event and a speaking engagement running a session there. Uh, the lead generation space, I come from mostly B to C, but it's always been about performance inbound marketing. So either buying leads, doing direct mail, running campaigns, hiring call centers to do you know the outbound and setting it up. Uh, but it's always been about that warm lead, if you will, to the closer so they can focus on what they do best uh, and then holding them accountable to that. So that market, that kind of conference, anything lead generation from a buyer seller side, uh, you know, I love speaking to that group and helping in any way I can. So it's an in-person event. Does that mean business is going back to normal? Is that your view? I, I, I don't know. It seems like, I mean, some people, you know, obviously they, they excited to be at in-person events. Some people still hesitant and holding back. Uh, I, I mean, my contention during this whole thing has been that business for the businesses that actually provide some value, they know what that value is to their clients and they understand the needs of their clients and how they can serve them, whether it's B2C or B2B. Um, those companies have been going full speed no matter what uh, because they're actually serving a need. I mean, I, I've kind of joked and said, like, if you're selling something people don't need, yeah, you're going to have a hard time when things are rough because people don't actually need it. So let's go into the heart of your message is something I love. So just a little bit of your background again. You started as a marine biologist, right? Yeah, yep. Just a, you, that's a perfect, that's, that's the, the common path for people who end up in sales consulting uh, and writing books is to start out first uh, tagging sharks. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, if you can work with real sharks, corporate sharks are easy, right? <laughs> uh, sort of. I, actually, I think it's the other way around, despite what people think. I mean, sharks are easy uh, because they have one direction. They have one thought on their mind. They have one mode. There's a, a dangerous end. You just got to be careful that dangerous end. Everything else is easy. Humans, corporations, they're a little bit uh, trickier if you will. They're not just looking for food and bumping things to see if they're food, right? <laughs> and, and not one direction. It's, you never know where, you know, where they're going to go. It sounds like a couple of VPs I worked for in the course of my life. <laughs> I love it. So part of what I like is so often there's a stereotype for salespeople. And I, I think your message resonates in a big way with me because I'm not your classic sales guy, right? I'm kind of the nerdy, dorky sales guy. And I came at it. I knew I was going to be a salesperson, but I'm not the classic, you know, shake hands, smile, do the light dinners thing. 
So can you talk about non-traditional salespeople and how they can be successful? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that first part, what you said is so key that a lot of people who are not familiar with sales or selling or fall into sales like I did and like so many other people did, where they think there's this model, there's this person, you have to be this personality, this, uh, they can sell ice to Eskimos, charismatic storytelling, schmoozing, flattery, kind of controlling, pushy person. Like that's what it takes to be successful. And yes, that person can be successful. I would contend that that person can be successful short-term. It's tough for them to be uh, successful long-term, uh, depending on their tactics they use. Uh, and it looks good in the moment, but not always uh, long-term. The other side, I think, actually works really well. And this is who I help understand their effectiveness in sales. is somebody who has the right uh, desire to help people. They want to be successful in sales. They want to do what's right for people. Um, and maybe even more from the analytical side, like listening to Britt earlier, hearing you talk just now, thinking about my own background, that analytical thinking, almost engineer-like person when combined with a, an empathetic type of a point of view and wanting to help people, that type of person, when they're in a sales role, if they can really hone in on their strengths and use those in the conversation, they're going to approach the conversation more of, you have a problem. I care about you. How can I help you fix that problem? And let's make it about you. And here's the solution versus I have something to sell. I have a quota. I don't care what happens to you. I need to get paid. Uh, and you're just in my way between you know where I'm now and the paycheck I want to be having. And so it's a slightly different thing. The, the challenge is, is that most of us, I'll speak for myself, we had bad experiences as a customer before even stepping into any kind of sales role. And so we bought something uh, that we probably regretted from somebody we probably didn't enjoy buying from. And we look back and we made this decision in our mind, or you know, we saw other people have this and we go, I don't want to sell that way. That was bad. It felt bad. And so you fall into a sales role and you decide golden rule, treat others like I want to be treated. So I'm going to go the other way. And then I, the subtitle for my book is order taker. Like you mentioned, is that the, uh, they end up being an order taker. So instead of moving conversations forward, all rapport, all empathy, all relationship, and all hope, just hoping the other person likes them enough to buy and not being in the middle, like a sales professional. So I'm going to pick on the order taker bit, right? So early in my career, I watched people make huge, ridiculous money because pre-e-commerce, the fax machine just rang, right? And people sent in orders. And those are the same people that didn't actually cultivate customer relationships. And when their product wasn't hot anymore, they weren't making any money. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair assessment of the average order taker? Um, either the order taker or the person who's not necessarily doing it with intention and building relationships and looking at the long term. So it could be either way, um, but definitely that order taker where as long as it's easy, they're doing well. And, and I'll tell you, like my first sales role, I was 27. Uh, I was in the mortgage business, 2002 housing market was ridiculously hot and only getting better. We joked, if you just showed up and answered the phone every once in a while, you'd make six figures, right? Like it was just show up. It was order taking. I learned nothing about sales. I needed no sales skills. It was literally just order taking. Um, and then when those kind of markets change, you see all of those people 
go into other markets and have to change because they didn't actually learn how to persuade. I mean, you really learn how to sell when things are tough. The market's tough. What you're selling is tough. The type of prospects are tough. I mean, you're doing long sales cycles, B2B. Uh, you can't be an order taker for very long and, and stick around. Have you seen the buyers change? I, I have. The biggest thing I've seen is that, you know, we're talking, we'll say with the internet, obviously the internet's been around for a while, but back in the day, buyers needed or went to a salesperson, whether they're buying a car or buying real estate or, you know, buying a, a new piece of software or a new copier for their, their company. They're going to a salesperson or they entertain talking to a salesperson because they need information. They don't have the information. They don't have that knowledge and they need it, right? Like, I don't know what this car does. I don't know anything about this. You're the expert, you tell me. And salespeople used to have the commodity on them. They used to have the commodity on information and knowledge and people seek that. And whoever has the knowledge and information generally has the upper hand and the power. And that's what salespeople always sold based on. Now what's changed is that within arm's reach, probably 24 hours a day of most people who are watching this and most people like as it expands in the world, we all have within arm's reach, all the information we could ever want and more about now and the history of everything. So if I want to buy a car, I no longer need to go into a dealership and talk to somebody to find out about that car. When I go to that dealership, I know more about that car than that person does if I want to. And so the difference is, is that when prospects, when potential customers are interacting with a salesperson of any capacity, um, the salesperson needs to understand that their role is no longer about information. It's no longer about telling somebody how something works and what it does, unless they need to. They should assume that person knows what, uh, what it does, what, what the software does, what the program does, what they you know, physical product is and does for the most part, what they're looking for instead, if they're actually interacting with a salesperson, keeping in mind, most people don't like salespeople. Most people don't want to deal with a salesperson. Most people are afraid of a salesperson just because of the, 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 the industry in general, which is negative and, you know, something we're all trying to fix here uh, in this group. Um, but if they're actually going to tolerate talking to a salesperson, it's because they need wisdom. They want to know, like, I have this problem. You have this solution. Is it the right thing for me? I don't need you to read me the features and benefits or the brochure. I want to know what it, what's in it for me and how is it going to help me? My favorite quote, Miles Kington, um, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. And that's really the function of salespeople now is no longer about, okay, I'm going to tell you everything about this. It's, how is this applicable for you? So I'm going to turn that a little bit. In a way, modern sales, and I actually believe this, is making sure that the customer is making the right decisions and helping guide them, not influencing them into what they need, right? So it's not, hey, I know you're size 10 shoe, but I got this 13 and boy, is it a deal, right? It's your size 10 shoe, mm, you don't want the 13 even though it's on sale. Yeah. And, and taking it to the next level, which is that consultative sales process, which you're alluding to, which is, okay, you're a size 10 shoe. Tell me what you do with the shoe. Like, what are you looking for? Oh, you have an event. What kind of event are you going to be standing? What are you going to be doing? Okay. Let me show you a couple of options and narrowing it down and saying, okay, based on what you said, here's what I think is the best option. Option A, option B, which do you want it in black or brown? That's it we're done, right? Like, let me help you through the process. They want 
essentially adult supervision. They want a professional to help them make the right decision for them. So one of the things I find with my clients is their customers often underestimate the complexity of solutions, right? They, they look at it and they're trying to solve for this little piece, but the problems actually, and it's a, a bit of what Brit does actually, the problem's up here and it's over here and it's three other places. How can a salesperson without seeming like that slimy used car salesman, to use that analogy, right, make those recommendations to a customer? Well, I think, you know, it's really about making those suggestions and recommendations at the right point once the credibility and the trust is being built. One of the challenges I see a lot in any sales cycle, any sales process, is that uh, the salesperson, the seller, either is desensitized because they've been doing it for too long and they've seen all of the scenarios and all of the people and they just know what everyone should do. Everyone like this always needs this and so they should always buy this. And so what happens is they either go in that mode or they just don't care. They, 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 they have a hammer and they think everything in the world is a nail. And so they're just gonna hit everything with a hammer. Um, like it could be a screw, that's not gonna work very well. And what happens is they usually early in the conversation, early in the relationship are going after what they think everything might be. And then the credibility hasn't been built, the trust hasn't been built. And the person doesn't, the customer, potential customer doesn't feel like they care. Feels like, okay, you're just telling me things, things are wrong, but you don't know anything about me. And the part that's usually missing is the accurate discovery questions, the empathetic, like, I want to find out about you. And then I'm going to give you the solution that fits your needs. And even if it's complex, you may think it's this, but it's all these things. And here's why, based on what you told me, that's what's usually missing is that line right there where salespeople aren't saying, well, based on what you told me, here's what we should do. It's like, based on what I know and what we do, here's what's wrong with your business. And it's like, "Mm, no, don't tell me that. Like that doesn't work. So I want to actually have you plug a little bit of what you do, okay? And it's met as a huge compliment. I've seen you do some amazing conversations on LinkedIn and on your podcast where you actually really draw this out. So can you tell people about, you know, where to find that, this kind of things they're going to learn by tuning into you? Well, I appreciate that uh, very much. I, I do uh, appreciate that compliment. So my podcast is The Authentic Persuasion Show. Uh, easiest thing for anyone listening or watching, go to jasoncutter.com. So I have a, a link there, but you can find the podcast everywhere uh, if you want to go directly on iTunes. Um, and really the goal of the focus, kind of like the book, is to help people sell in a way that's more effective for them and for the customer in a way using authentic persuasion. Uh, And really along the mission of what I wanna do is help people sell better and make it such that customers, prospective customers, don't fear and hate the thought of dealing with salespeople, right? They want to, because they see it as a profession and uh, there is no profession, there's no guidance, there's no certification keeping everyone compliant people just do whatever they want. So uh, if you're looking for ways to sell, really looking at those conversations, if, if you feel like you might be an order taker, or you want to figure out how to sell without it feeling like sales and without feeling like gross, that's what we talk about all the time. You did one other thing that I kind of want to draw out. And that is so many salespeople get pushed into management, right? Or they take it because they think that's <laughs> the career path. And you just ran a course for people that are 
newer managers, right? Growing managers. Can you talk about what people took away from that? Yeah. So that's a place in my heart. I've always seen that trend. And recently I've really been going more into workshops and masterminds and courses for that group, uh, which is that salesperson who got promoted. Maybe they were the best salesperson. Maybe they were a good salesperson. Company says, hey, we need a manager. We have a spot. We need a team lead. They promote that person. Um, usually, and this is where it goes wrong, is the company assumes that because they're good in sales, they'll be good at leading a team and don't provide the, the guidance, the, the help, the assistance, the coaching, the managing, right? The same thing, like you hire someone to sales and say, hey, good luck, here's the phone, right? Like, uh, good luck, you, since you know what you're doing in sales, we don't need to talk to you ever again. Um, companies do that to new people they promote into leadership. So the big things that we covered and that um, I focus on with that group is really getting them to step back from just thinking about things as sales and then becoming a leader. And then kind of like in sales, like here's, here's kind of the, uh, one of the um, spoilers, if you will, one key to success in sales is not thinking that everyone is just like you, right? Because you like a certain thing or you buy a certain way doesn't mean everyone wants to buy that way. So you really have to serve people the way they want to be served. As a leader, as a manager, a lot of times people, when they get promoted, they don't think about that. So they think everyone's motivated by money. Everyone's motivated by the same thing. Everyone wants golfing. Everyone wants to go happy hour. Everyone wants like high fives. Everyone wants whatever that person liked. As a leader, they come in there and so you want to separate that and, and treat your team how they want to be treated, get them on board and make it about them. Just like as a good salesperson, you made it all about your customers. As a leader, make it all about your sales team. Uh, and it's a way different game. That's beautiful. So I'm I, just like the others, I've got questions for you for the round table too. So we'll be back with you in about 15 minutes or so. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Jason. All right, next up, we've got Steve Urell. And so Steve, obviously I work with every day. We help clients all the time, but he said something last week that was really, really powerful. So I'm gonna use that to start his session here today. And that is that we had a client that came and two weeks into their year, they had line of sight on their number for the first month in the year, their number for the first quarter and their number for the full year. And that was because, frankly, of the work we had done with the teams to understand what was in their pipeline and how to do that. So we use the term sales opportunity management. Steve, I'm going to kind of just turn it over to you and talk about the sort of things people could be looking at as they go into Q2 to get line of sight on a number. Great to be with you, Tim. And yeah, let's talk about that line of sight. You know, we're at the end of our, or at the beginning of Q2. So the very first thing that uh, most companies are going to start doing is having quarterly business reviews. That thing that every sales rep just dreads, the QBR. You know, but at the end of the day, if you change the perspective of a QBR to be a coaching session versus an inquisition session, I think we've seen clients get a heck of a lot more out of that. And, you know, let me, let me just tell you about um, what I think as people prepare for Q2, identify that game changer opportunity. And, and what do we mean by game changer? What is most important to you as the individual contributor? And it's more than likely complex, it's competitive. Um, and like you said in the introduction, it could make your quarter if you win it. It could actually change the trajectory of your year and quite honestly, it could change the trajectory of your career. So uh, some tidbits as we, uh, as we enter Q2. 
so we talk about that, you know, and I, I tell a story about, you know, when you first started working with me, actually, it was the second time you started working with me, I was building an organization, right? So Jason talked about, you know, that person that's new into management, not really getting the training and not really getting the lift. So any thoughts for the person that's there? It's kind of working, it's kind of chugging, but the results are just a little bit short of what they can do to look at across their teams and start to identify those opportunities. Because every what everybody does is they jump in their CRM and they go, I got 4,000 opportunities and they're all at stage three through six. It's going to be great. Don't worry, boss. Yeah, I, I think it's collaborating with each individual and doing what we just said. Identify that game changer. And, and game changer is not your largest deal in your CRM. It might be, but it might be that first deal in an account that could absolutely buy in a, tr a tremendous amount from you if you win that initial deal. So from a sales management perspective, it's collaborating with each individual contributor, looking at CRM, go to CRM, and collectively figure out which is that game changer deal. So, you know, we talked about leads early on with um, Chris and Tim. And, and one of the things that I've been working a lot with our clients on this year is identifying who they should be selling to. So when you're looking at that game changer, is that still part of the process looking at where you're engaged inside an account? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, it's looking at number one, just from the lens of the customer, can you solve their problem better than anyone else? Can you meet or beat their expectations better than anyone else? And if you honestly believe that, then it's much like we were hearing early on about Jake from Jason, can you help them from their perspective understand that you are the best solution for them? So yeah, it's, it's a, you know, selling is an art and it's a science. I loved also what Jason said, um, some of our best clients and the best clients within our organizations that we coach have an engineering background. And all of our clients are in the technology space. So when you think about what it is they do, they solve problems and having that engineering background, that logic and marrying that then with the art side of, of selling, that's why they're the high performers that we see day in and day out. So I'm going to shift gears on you and I didn't warn you I was going to do this. So apologies in advance. You know, we talked with Jason a little bit about things are starting to go back to normal, starting to go in person. We've been selling virtually almost exclusively, everyone has for the past year or so, right? It's been a lot less face-to-face. -face. What are some things that you've learned in changing? Because you built a great business, but you were all over the world, face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, and you've been supporting it remotely. Any best practices? Uh, number one, like we've always said, be inquisitive. So no matter if you're on a Zoom call uh, or whatever platform you use, be inquisitive with the people that you're talking to. Again, it's not about what you want to tell them. It's what they want to tell you. And you, you need to be inquisitive and ask some very good questions. But think of that. You know, we were always on airplanes. From a sales rep perspective, our perspective, we would work with groups. Think of the productivity increase we have now and the fact that I can have a, a truly highly productive meeting in 30 minutes over Zoom, collect an awful lot of answers from some great questions I asked that customer, and then I can in 15 minutes transition to that next customer. So I look at it and say your productivity and amount of touches you can have with customers and partners 
should literally have doubled, if not tripled, given the pandemic. And then finally, I think it's recognizing this is the new way we're going to be engaging with customers, embrace it, and be successful with it.